bro. Keep it real, my friend. You want me to keep it real, bro? Yes, brother. Keep it real. I'll keep it real with you. I'm going to keep it real right now. I'm going to keep it 100. I am on benzodiazepines. Whoa, whoa, what? You're on drugs right now? No, no, no. Pump the brakes. I'm on prescribed drugs for the first time in my life. I'm on clonazepam right now. Okay, so we'll see how this one goes. I didn't even think I would admit that, but it turns out I'm starting the episode with a big reveal. What is he on? Drum roll, please. (gasps) Clonazepam? Now, I know it's marketed as an anti-anxiety medication, but I'm on it because I can't stop swaying and I can't stop bobbing and I can't stop shaking and I have a lot of brain fog and I have a little bit of anxiety spiking here and there and here and there because of MDDS, Mal-de-Debarkman syndrome. I've talked about it a lot. Think about this. I came back from Minnesota on a flight on New Year's Day. That's about 38, 39 days ago. And I have not stopped swaying and bobbing. And even if I get used to it, there's still the mental aspects, the emotional aspects that nobody can get used to. So I explored every other avenue, every other solution, the homeopathic world, the CBD world, get rest, fitness, meditation, all of it. Prednisone, the steroid, magnesium, for inflammation of the ears, B2. I got all the advice, got all the guidance, and nothing was working. So the neurologist that I saw prescribed benzodiazepines. And as I said, I Googled the side effects and I said, no thanks, because it was scary. And then I did more research and realized, all right, I probably won't suffer from these side effects. And if I do, I could just stop. I can taper off and stop. So it was scary to start, to take that first half pill, 0.5, MG, gulp it down with a little water and then scream, I'm cured, everybody, I'm cured. Well, it doesn't really work that quickly, but something's happening. Something is probably happening. My swaying is down a little bit. I'm still swaying and I feel a little calmer because that's what it does. Here's a little drug education for you. These benzos, they calm your nervous system. They calm your brain. They calm your nerves. So I should be a little more calm during episode 173 of the damn podcast you're listening to right now. But we'll see. I don't know what direction it's going. You don't know the direction it's going. But I hope it's kind of calm. You don't want to hear any volatility right now. You don't want to hear a man melt down into an abyss of disarray. But that happened. Oh, yeah, that happened. And that's why I made the decision. All right, let me set the scene. Went out to Larkspur Landing. Went out to Country Mart with the two kids, mother-in-law visiting. We're going to go have a final pint at the Marin Brewing Company, which is closing down. It's been open since 1989. Marin's finest brew pub. Marin Brewing Company, a casualty of the pandemic. They're closing down. So I thought we all have to get a final beer, get a final pint. And we go in bringing a seven-month-old, a four-year-old, my mother-in-law, my wife. Oh, that's going to go really smoothly. And I go up to the bar, we get a few, and then it's just chaos. It's noise, daughter crying, everyone crying. I'm crying. I think I'm crying on the inside, not on the outside. A lot on the inside, not a lot on the outside. And I immediately just pound it and go outside. 
get some fresh air, my wife said. Get some fresh air. You don't look so good. So I got some fresh air. And then my daughter's running around. She's running around that little pond with the koi fish. This should be a nice moment. It usually is a nice moment. But the intensity of the moment is too much. And I don't know why, but that's a byproduct of MDDS. It's not just the swaying. It's the fact that you're out of whack. You're off kilter. Your vestibular system has not recalibrated to stable ground. So there is some activity in your brain that just makes you a little nervous on edge. And then the brain fog arrived thicker than I've ever felt it. And we go next door to a little Mexican spot where you order at the cash register. And my wife's helped me. She's like two enchiladas, maybe a quesadilla for Mila. My mom wants the taco platter. And then she just leaves me. And I walk up to the cash register and I forgot everything. And I actually got scared. I was like, why is my brain failing me? I can't even remember tacos, enchiladas. I can't even remember quesadilla, tacos, enchiladas. So I just stepped out of line and I went outside and I stood in the street and I screamed, fuck. I just screamed, fuck. And my wife saw it and I walked up to her and I said, I got to start the benzodiazepines. I got to do something. It's no longer manageable. I know, pity party. I know this sounds a little dramatic, but just go with me. Go with me. And even after that night, I was still like, nah, you know, maybe just a little more rest. Maybe just a little more fitness. Maybe I'll do some more push-ups in the morning. No. I succumbed to it three nights ago. Took the first pill, and I think I feel something. That's what everybody says on these types of drugs. Oh, it's a low dose. I don't know. It's very subtle. I don't know. I think I feel something. I think I feel a little loopy in a good way i can also feel that i am going with the flow a little more i'm not sweating the small stuff i'm not having those jolts of fight flight right now brain fog probably still a little bit there swaying on a scale of one to ten it's probably like a three or a four i could take that and i got a few weeks of this i'm not going to stay on it forever i'm not going to get addicted i'm not going to have withdrawals i'm not going to move out and live in the streets looking for more benzos and benzos and benzos as michael keaton is pushing them to okay this is the plot of dope sick and i think i watched that show on hulu at the wrong time because i got real scared and even though it's not oxycontin this is not opiates there's still something about scary side effects with a pill that seems a little intense that you don't want to take but i'm taking it are you taking it too is this now a support group let's open up the phone lines at 888-985-5151 who's got the brain fog who's feeling a little calmer right now hey it's dj benzo spinning the records i don't know i ran out of steam i ran out of steam on that riff pretty quickly but i do hope this works and i thank you for being on this journey with me and let's all take a breath. Why not? <sighs> Welcome in. I was watching the Righteous Gemstones on Sunday night, and they did a flashback episode to the early 90s. Righteous Gemstones, John Goodman, Danny McBride, really good this season, better than season one. About the billionaires who own the mega churches turning religion into big business but with a little hint of comedy and a big hint of darkness. Righteous Gemstones, Sunday on HBO. 5 p.m. in Greenland, 6 Pacific Mountain Time, Eastern Standard, Mountain Greenland Time. All right, one of the characters' name is Baby Billy. I don't like him. It doesn't do anything for me, the storyline. But the whole episode, he's wearing a red 
Marlboro Turtleneck. Not an easy brand of cigarettes to pronounce. Marlboro. And I couldn't stop thinking, oh wow, people used to save up their Marlboro miles to win prizes. Cigarette smoking was the opposite of stigmatized. Cigarette smoking with Joe Camel to appeal to the kids and Marlboro Miles to market to the adults who want prizes like they're at some adult arcade. Hey, I smoke more and then on the pack I cut out my miles and I send them in and then I get a Marlboro jacket or I get a Marlboro hat or I save a lot and get a Marlboro boat or I get a Marlboro swing set or a Marlboro pool table swing set for the kids or I get a Marlboro bedspread or I get a Marlboro golf bag or I get a Marlboro set of shoelaces or I get a Marlboro bookend pair what? or I get a Marlboro egg beater or I get a Marlboro what else pants socks you know what I mean Marlboro miles when I was a little kid I wasn't a smoker as a little kid but I thought it was cool and I remember seeing the catalog of all the things you could get save up save up your miles send them in and then this company that kills people is gonna make your day with a Marlboro shirt and baby Billy on the righteous gemstones was just proudly wearing his Marlboro red turtleneck the whole episode I was distracted I was like Oh my God, what's the story behind that? So I Googled it. Does this still exist? It says it kind of ended in 2006. But it's weird that I've seen the evolution of cigarette smoking. Cigarette smoking before my lifetime was even more accepted. But even in the early part of my life, Camel Cash, Joe Camel, and Marl... Fucking can't say. And Marlboro Miles was appealing to people like me, 10, 11, 12-year-olds. I remember having a few cigarettes thinking, huh, should I? Should I start? There would have been less pushback. That's all I'm saying. Nowadays, if you ever heard of a 10, 11, 12-year-old smoking cigs, oh, the castigation would be quick. That'd be squashed real quick. But I remember on the street I grew up on, there was a girl. I'm talking about a girl like a 13, 14-year-old girl who would just be in the driveway smoking cigarettes, reading a book. I think I've mentioned that on the podcast before. It was like a landmark. Oh, that's the house with the nice hedges? Oh, that's the house with the globe in the window? Oh, that's the house where the teenage girl is just smoking cigarettes, parents inside, and I think it's okay? And then fast forward, I never see smokers anymore. I mean, maybe that's because I live in Marin, but smokers are almost extinct there's less and less and less and less. And I finally heard why. I was listening to Will Arnett. By the way, Will Arnett's new show on Netflix, Murderville. So funny. Holy shit. Laugh out loud. Highly recommend it. But Will Arnett was saying the insurance companies were sick of it with all the premiums rising and rising and rising and contributing to all the hospital bills for all the forms of cancer and disease that these were causing. So the campaign was silenced because as a money maker... And I think I'm probably getting a lot of these details wrong. But Will Arnett was explaining the only thing that could shut down big billion dollar corporations are other big billion dollar corporations that are being hurt, that aren't benefiting. And then they'll do their part to shut it down. So something about insurance companies? I am not delivering much information. I almost want to Google that one. But who cares, right? Just move on. Marlboro Miles. They don't exist not being marketed to little kids anymore just like a bunch of shit parents are more protective of what our kids are exposed to 
And I think more and more companies are adhering to that. The new standards of how to keep our kids healthy. We have moved away from the latchkey kid that is hunting for playboys in a dumpster and collecting Marlboro Miles. And that kid, perhaps it was me, but that kid is a thing of the past. Now we coddle and we keep our kids healthy. And we educate them and we limit screen time. And we don't just microwave hot pockets. No, we make organic meals from scratch. And we're creating a better generation of humans. I'm hoping what I'm saying is not a joke. It's not tongue in cheek. It's just serious. Let's just create people that are better than us. Every generation should have the same goal. Let's create children that are better than us, that are more inclusive and understanding and compassionate. I feel like I need music playing behind me. This is so inspiring. Who else is inspired right now? Are those the Benzos talking, Josh? You shut up. That's really me. All right, this is not the Benzo episode, okay? Although I do wonder how much of my natural spirit is being dimmed right now by those little half pills of clonazepam I'm taking. We can be honest about this, right? Most people don't talk about their prescribed medications, but we can. It's a safe zone. This is a judgmental-free zone. We can talk about it. Most people don't talk about it, or if they do, they go, but I'm on a really low dose. Oh, but I'm on a really low dose. Who gives a shit? You're taking it. You're taking it for a reason. Let's be united with our mental health issues or our swaying issues. Who's coming with me? Huh? You know what? Let's do it. Let's all streak through the quad at 3 p.m. I'll meet you there. Oh, boy. All right. I work in a high school, so I work in education. My wife also works in education. She's an occupational therapist. She works at an elementary school. She works with kids who are even younger than elementary school age. Think preschool. Think toddlers. Think three-year-olds and four-year-olds who come to see her for OT needs. Now, just like most people, I can't properly explain what occupational therapy is, but it's intended to help with whatever your occupation is. It's intended to help make tasks easier to perform and find whatever the hiccups are, whatever the roadblocks are for some kids, whether it's fine motor skills or gross motor skills or pencil grip. Or I wish she was here to explain it better than me. But she was saying, you know, when a kid comes in at age three or four and we are supposed to assess in special education for special needs, there's a moment where you have to teach the skills of conformity. Conformity is a weird word. Some people are so against conformity. Don't make me conform to your standards and your regulations. But we all have to. In order to learn some of these skills that are going to help us later in life, you got to understand the remedial value of being able to sit in a desk and be on time and listen to an adult, a teacher, a specialist. And these are things you can't just assume kids know. We're all a bunch of animals. We need to be socialized. You think about puppy training. We need to do the same thing with humans. All right, you come in, you say hello to the adult, the stranger. Try not to freak out. They're going to teach you some things to practice. And it made me realize that conformity, even though America sends this message of we all have freedoms, which are wonderful, we also do have to conform in order to learn, in order to thrive. I mean, you want to kill it later in life. You want to have a bunch of green lights and doors open and opportunities. You got to learn how to work with others, how to collaborate, how to listen to people, how to follow schedules, how to understand instructions, all these little things come before the content of the actual classroom education. Just the simple idea of I can take paper out, 
I have a sharpened pencil. I'm there on time. I mean, all these little skills that we probably take for granted, they have to be taught. And at a young age, when these feral wild animals come in, the idea of conformity, it's got to be a little difficult to understand. How do you teach the value of conformity? Because we don't want a uniform society. We don't want everyone the same. That sounds like a totalitarian dictatorship. Everyone the same. If you're against us, you'll be purged. That's not the American way, but we still need a little conformity. Like I was driving on the highway through Santa Fe and on the overpass, there's all these people upset about the mask mandates and they're so upset about the mask mandates. Okay, they're upset. They feel like it's infringing upon their rights. I get it, but there's a lot of shit we can't do. Like, I couldn't just drive 180 miles per hour and say, these speed limits are infringing on my rights. Now, we kind of have to play within the parameters. I understand mistrust of the media. I understand mistrust of government. That's all natural. But to protest conforming, hmm, it's an interesting debate. I think the real ability to succeed and express yourself is probably conform a little bit. Like, be able to at least interact with others in a positive manner. You can't be too much of an outcast. Or what the hell am I talking about? Yes, you can. Did this just become my own requirements to be a human? And now to conform to this podcast, you need to put your earbuds in left first, then right, and you need to be sitting down and staring at the clouds and hearing every word I say. Another breath. Breathe in. And out. This is the weirdest guided meditation of your life. You're like, he's ranting about something, and then we breathe. And then he's complaining about something, and then we breathe. And then he's joking about something, or is he not joking? Do we understand when he's joking and when he's not? Does he even understand when he's joking and when he's not? And then we breathe. I'm going to a funeral on Friday, and it's going to be sad. And I know I told a lot of Matt Bravo stories on the last podcast, my friend who passed away last week. But there's the classic story that I forgot to tell. And I've already told it, but I'll tell it again. That day in fifth grade when I wore boxers to school, I wore boxers to school over tidy whities My sister for Hanukkah gave me a pair of silk LA Kings, that's an NHL team, boxers. And no one told me boxers or underwear. She just gave me the gift. I unwrapped it. I loved it. I put it in my shorts drawer because they're called boxer shorts. And then first I put on my tidy whities and then I put on my silk LA Kings boxers and then I got on my bike and I rode to Dixie school. Well, as I got there, Matt Brabo was the first to look at me and say, Rosie, what's the story? I was like, you like them? My boxers? He's like, yeah, but you got to wear like some pants over those. <laughs> it wasn't until Matt let me know I was in my underwear at school. And then the principal came over, Mr. Lowasser. He came over and said, yeah, Josh, you are in your underwear today. And I don't think they sent me home or even gave me some pants. I think I went the full day in my silk boxers. I just remember Matt already knew that boxers are not shorts. They're underwear. But I was still a tidy whitey kid. I mean, what is that, age 9 or 10? I think I was tidy whiteys until... 13 or 14, but boxers, boxers are for big boys like Matt. Matt was probably always wearing boxers. I don't even think he had a diaper phase. He was a newborn 
then they just put them in boxers and a wife beater. But we don't call them wife beaters anymore because it's 2022. We just call them tight, white, cotton tank tops. And we're clear. Who wrote wife beater in my script? Jesus. Come on. And we're back. All right, episode 173. It's been a doozy. Who could spell doozy? You think that's an easy word to spell? I'll give you some words that you can't spell. I know you can't spell. How about occasional? Try that. Just start spelling it right now. Nope, you missed it. How about mahogany? Mm Mm-mm. No, no, no. You got the O's and the A's wrong. How about occurrence? Spell occurrence right now. You're like, is it E-N-C-E? Is it A-N-C-E? You don't know. These are your SAT words, and you're misspelling them right now. So Google them. I'm not going to tell you the answers until episode 194. You have to wait. Mahogany? Occurrence? What are some other words that are commonly misspelled? Rhythm? Spell rhythm. Oh, you can't. I'm the spelling bee judge who's very condescending and rude. Your word is mahogany. Oh, you can't do it. M-A-M-O-M-A-H-O-M-O-H-A. Mahogany. No one knows to this day. No one can spell it. Did you ever watch The Real World? It's like one of the first times you saw reality TV and you're like, what is this? MTV presents The Real World. Strangers living together in a big house. I can't wait. Edited down to a good half hour every week. What's this about? The Real World. Well, they're going to pick a racist. They're going to pick someone who's gay. They're going to pick someone who's very smart. And they're going to pick someone who's very ditzy. And they're going to just pick all the stereotypical type of young adults and put them in a house and then say, all right, light the match. Squeeze the lighter fluid. And welcome to the real world. True story. I was listening to, you know, me and Spotify. I got a pretty intimate relationship with Spotify. I was listening to 90s rock mix. And all the songs just made me think of the real world. But the final episode, where after all the drama, it made the viewer sad that the experience was ending. You remember this? I think I watched maybe six full seasons of the real world. New York, LA, San Francisco, Miami. They went to London. Never really got into the other ones, like Road Rules, or the other one, like The Gauntlet or something. But the real world, the first six seasons, you're very invested. You go, is this real? Is there a script? It didn't make sense. Now everything's reality TV. And it seems very fabricated. But the real world actually felt real. And the season finale would always tie up the loose ends. There were so many fights. There were so many arguments. And you couldn't wait for scenes from the next. Next time on The Real World. I hate you. Go to hell. You're the worst. Get out of the house. But the season finale was always the same. The last 10 minutes, there's a big montage. And then they would show everyone packing their bags. And then in the confessional, everybody would say what they learned and just how much emotional growth and development they experienced. And it was like heartwarming. And as I'm listening to my Spotify 90s rock mix, it's all I could picture. You don't even have to picture specific cast members. Just the same thing packing their suitcases, going on the shuttle to the airport, realizing, huh, this will never happen again. I'll never be assembled with these maniacs ever again. But the reflection confessionals, the reflection confessionals? I guess I never expected 
to meet someone with that skin color. But in the end, <laughs> I think it was fine. Closing time, Airplane, bus, folding laundry. I've never really been around homosexuals, but now, huh, now I like them. Airplane, airporter, putting shoes in a suitcase. I'm never going to forget these people. This was quite an experience. And now everyone cry. Everyone, get sad at the same time. Oh, is that couple going to make it when they leave the show? I was really hoping on that love story to progress. I know who I want to take me home. All right, Semi-Sonic, enough of you. Let's go through some other songs and some other confessionals that you might hear in the real world season finale. Hmm. You know, this has been quite an experience. No, it's too fast, too fast, too fast, too fast. Yeah, I look back on this time in this house and these people meant a great deal to me. No, that doesn't really work either. I never thought that I would actually meet Jewish people or black people or Asian people. I didn't even think they were just like me. But uh, ultimately, I think that's what I learned in this house. Credits. Pa! Stone Temple Pilots. Let's keep going. You know, I came in here not knowing anyone. Didn't even know myself. But now, looking back on this experience, <laughs> I think it's safe to say I like other people who have other ethnicities. Okay. Uh, no, that doesn't work at all. REM. Oh, perfect. Counting Crows. You know, this is a group of friends that will never be forgotten. When I first showed up in this house, I was like, fuck everyone, okay? I even pulled a gun on someone in the first 10 minutes of the first episode, and I know it got high ratings, but now, I don't think I would do that again. I mean, unless they cross me. But I'm looking forward to a reunion show, and maybe I could parlay this into a tell-all book, so it's been a great experience here on The Real World. What else? Oh, this is perfect. Airplane, shuttle bus, folding your laundry, into the suitcase. These people mean everything to me. I never, ever thought I would enjoy having a conversation with someone who had different hair than what I was used to. But now I've realized, in the end, after a lot of introspection, I can handle other humans. What's this, No Doubt? Sunday morning? Here we go. Let that bass get in your system. Okay. Nope, it doesn't work for what I'm doing, but it's still pretty good. How about Third Eye Blind? Perfect, this is a real world site. This is like probably the opening credits. Show the pier, an aerial shot of the neighborhood, into the house, this is like the episode they start with. Hi, I'm Lisa. 
I'm a student at University of Texas in Austin, and I've never met anyone unlike me. Okay, wait, let's go to the semi-sonic song again, because that's really, that's really the one we need to focus on. This will be the perfect way to close out this episode. Real world. Real world. Can't pronounce your R's. Real world. Real world. Episode 173 of The Real World. Not in any town, just here we go. The benzodiazepine, real world. When I first got the prescription, I thought, oh fuck no. I have a family, god damn it. I have daughters who need their daddy. I have a wife who needs me to be considerate and helpful with the dishes. And the laundry but after an outburst at a Mexican restaurant in Larkspur I think it's safe to say I'm gonna pop some pills and I'm gonna turn the corner and I'm gonna be just fine who else is crying right now anyone roll the fucking credits pal roll the credits already please roll them closing time that song rules. Do we still say rules? Semisonic. What other songs have they done? Let's not go down a rabbit hole. Let's just wrap up this episode. Give our hugs. Let's all hug it out. Good to see you, man. Hey, thanks for showing up. Nice to see you. Hey, look at you. Hug it out. And then Irish goodbye. Let's just get out of here. The episode, it's in the books. Okay, I'm just sneaking out. I'll talk to you soon. <laughs>